How many of you guys knew it was Palm Sunday? Just out of curiosity, you kind of knew that, huh? We have our narrative. Uh, what it is is the Sunday before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, most people call it Palm Sunday. You might wonder why. Uh, there's uh, a reference in John chapter 12, verse 13. It says they took uh, branches of palm trees and they went out uh, to meet him. And so... You know, they call it Palm Sunday. Some refer to it as Jesus' triumphal entry into uh, Jerusalem. And uh, the reason for that is the palm branch, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, is symbolic of triumph. It's symbolic of victory uh, in Jewish tradition. For example, we read in Leviticus 23, verse 40, it says, And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, Branches of palm trees, the Bible says, the boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. It was a part of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, and so celebration of a, of a holy day. And it's interesting to me to, to even know that, you know, you can look throughout the scriptures, you can look back, you can even look forward in Revelation chapter 7, it says in verse 9 and 10, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations. This is so beautiful. All nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God and sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, there's this, uh, there's this picture with the, the palms of victory, of salvation. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to see when Jesus rode through the Kidron Valley, and as they were waving the palm branches, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And Hosanna means save now. It's a... It's a, it's a cry of victory, you guys. You know, and to me, I, I just, I think about that. You know, I think about heaven. I think about someone like me, a wretched man, being able to go to heaven when I die. One day when God calls us home as Christians, you know, we'll be able to, uh, to say, you know, victory. I'll, I'll never forget. It's kind of cool. It's totally out of left field when I baptized my daughter. And it, I was a wreck when I baptized her, just to let you know. I was just, my face was discontorted. I mean, I was crying so hard when I was praying for her. And then when I put her down, and I was just all messed up, man. And then and when, when I brought her out, I think she was maybe 9 or 10 years old. I'll never forget, she came out of the water. You know what she did? She went, yeah, like that. She was all happy. And here I am crying, you know, like crazy. And and when she did that, though, I still have that, that, that visual in my mind of, uh, of victory. Victory for my daughter. Victory for you. This is what Palm Sunday really is all about in, in many ways. Uh, as you're waving the palms, and we look back, and the Feast of Tabernacles, what a celebration. We look forward to that day in Revelation 7 when the, the, it's, the, it's the tribulation saints, the one who's been through so much heartache all their life. They're just there praising God for the victory that they have, and they're now in heaven. And so 
You know, Palm Sunday, uh, the triumphal entry. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, up into Jerusalem, and they're waving their branches. And they're even laying clothes down on the ground. That was a common custom in ancient, ancient uh, East to kind of, like, you know, maybe roll out the red carpet or, you know, cover the path of someone they thought who was worthy of honor. And so... All across the world, uh, I don't know if uh, you guys knew this or not, but many churches, they pass out palm leaves, and that would be kind of cool. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, what they do, however, is they take them, they save them, and then the following year, they burn them, uh, and then they put ashes on the foreheads of people uh, on the following year called Ash Wednesday. Now, we don't do that. The Bible nowhere tells us to do that. But we do acknowledge this day, uh, this commencement of what many would call Passion Week. And so, how's your? I pray that this week, that it would be something different, something special, you guys. That you would, that we would truly, I mean, just draw near to God like like never before in the history of our life. You know, because I think these are opportunities for us. Uh, this Passion Week, this. Holy Week, uh, like we were talking earlier, in four days we commemorate the Last Supper, five days is Good Friday, and then next week, uh, how many of you guys, you like Easter uh, celebration? I mean, there's, isn't it, there's something like, like in that day, uh, I think it was Mark, he was saying it's one of his favorite services, I mean, just the victory, the, the, the joy of the day that he is risen, huh? So, it's a great week. Uh, I pray we would take advantage of it, reflect on what the Lord's done, and that we would respond in whatever steps that we need to take in order to honor Him. Maybe you're here today and you're not even a Christian. You haven't really given your life to Christ. I mean, that's where it starts. you got to take that first step. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, uh, to let go of the sins and repent and receive him. Say, now from this day forward, I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. I, I call myself a Christian. I mean, I never forget. I was uh, 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 all messed up. You know, I think I was 23 years old, drinking, smoking, drugs. I mean, everything that, you know, young people do. And that back in the day, no direction whatsoever. And and uh, I'll never forget, you know, I gave my life to Christ, and then I went home, I, I spoke with my aunt, and I told her this, I said, I'm a Christian now. I'm a Christian now. There's something about that. Can you say that? If you can't say that, then you, you need to come to that place. You need to take that step where you can say that unashamedly. You tell your, your Thea Mary, or you tell... Whoever you need to tell, you know, your friends that, that, that you know, I remember my friends, they wanted to go, wanted to do drugs, wanted to go to Las Vegas that, that weekend. We had it all planned out, get some girls, all that kind of stuff. And I told them, I said, I can't do that anymore. I'm a Christian now. Can you say that? Have you said that? You got to take that step. Other people, it's, an, it's a different type of step. Maybe you are a Christian, but... You haven't come to that place of surrender yet. You're still all about yourself and about your pity parties and about how you think the world revolves around you so you're not going to serve the Lord and you need to serve the Lord. I mean, there's just so many things. People that are saved, they're, 
They're not seeking him. And you know you're not seeking him. Why not? I mean, this is a, a great opportunity for whatever steps that we need to take in this direction, in this relationship with God. You're going to start reading your Bible now. You're going to start praying now. You're going to start you know, attending church on a consistent basis now because you get that beautiful conviction that you need to be in fellowship just like Jesus was. I don't understand why people wouldn't want to be in fellowship. Why not? You know, I mean, you come to that place, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to fight with my wife anymore. I'm not going to fight with my husband anymore. I'm going to love her as Christ loved the church and died for her. Or I'm going to submit to him as unto the Lord because that's what wives are supposed to do. Whatever it might be. You know, you're supposed to be praying for your family. You haven't been. You don't pray for your wife or your kids or your country. I mean, the Lord will show you whatever it is, whatever steps that, that we need to take. I mean, this is not just about going to church and, you know, studying the whatever Palm Sunday. I mean, this is about getting right with the Lord. And so, you know, I, I just get so blessed to know that he's given us that victory. And I want you to know this, too, that you can do this if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you can. Before we were Christians, we had no power over sin. I couldn't stop drinking in a million years. But when I became a Christian, I now had the power to, you see. And, I, and whatever it is that is going on in your life and maybe you're struggling with over and over and over again you know it's if you're a christian it's not because you don't have the power maybe you just need to know that you do and you need to walk in that you know i mean here we see a beautiful beautiful story in matthew 21 I begin first of all if you want to write it down point number one the donkey okay you can write that the donkey or uh, you can write the transportation, depending on how you want to write it down. So it says in verse 1, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And so what had happened was Jesus had made a decision. He's going to go to Jerusalem to die you know i mean most of us probably if we're like okay they want to kill me over there then i'm going over there right most of us would do that but no even the disciples are you shouldn't go to jerusalem the religious leaders they, they're they're after you man i remember one time i had a gang it was a gang after me because i like some girl and i just the gang member liked her too i didn't know that otherwise i would have never liked her but you know <laughs> And so anyway, they're after me. And let me tell you something. I didn't run towards that. I, I ran the other way, so to speak. And, and the, here's the Lord. Like, they're going to kill me. I'm going to go. He's, the Bible even says he set his face like flint. I mean, he was just determined to go to Jerusalem. So as he's drawing near, they come to this village. It's called Bethphage 
at the Mount of Olives. It's about two and a half miles away from Jerusalem. And as they arrive, the Lord sends a couple of his disciples, this is so cool, into the village to bring them his transportation, right? And, uh, and so they, 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 he says they were going to go, you guys, you know, start stealing the animal. I mean, basically taking it, right? And, and when the owner says, hey, what's up? Then you just tell them the, the Lord needs it. I mean, it's so cool how the Lord knew everything in advance. And, uh, and a couple of quick side notes here in this. I think it's interesting how the Lord had to borrow transportation. He had to, to borrow it. And, and that's kind of funny I mean, you read that throughout the Bible, how he had to borrow a few things. Uh, later uh, in this week, when it's time to teach about money, Jesus had to borrow a coin. Did you know that? He, said, he checked his pockets. Oh, I don't have anything. Anybody here have a quarter? You know, <laughs> Earlier, when it was time to preach, he had to borrow a boat in Luke 5. A couple of times when he fed the people, he had to borrow food. Um, and then one day when he was buried, we're going to see that later, he had to borrow a grave. He didn't have a lot. Our Lord Jesus Christ didn't have a lot. You know, and maybe there's a little message for us there, because I think a lot of times, well, I need, to see, I need a few more things. Lord, I, I need a little more money. And maybe you do. I'm not saying that, you know, things are bad, but just be careful. Um, I love the Lord. He was so amazingly able to do everything his father called him to do with, with, with just a little bit. The only property he possessed was the clothes that he wore. It's heavy, huh? He had nowhere to lay his head, the Bible says. And so a rock, he would rest on a rock or he'd bundle up on a bench. He was essentially homeless many, many, many parts, parts of his ministry. He would stay in different places. He didn't have a lot. And so for us, there's a message there. I think it's a side note for us. Another interesting side note is the way that Jesus was able to see into the next town, right? I mean, he saw exactly where the, the cult was. He knew its geography. He even knew the history of the cult. No one's ever ridden it. <laughs> so go and get it. And um, he would be the first to break it in, which is an interesting, right? Because you know how stubborn donkeys are. Some of us are kind of like donkeys, right? Um, he knew what the guy would say, and he knew exactly what they were supposed to say in order for this to be a successful mission. Uh, and so, you know, looking at that, just as side notes, I think it's, these are truths that can help us. You know, if we are tempted to, you know, with that lie, to buy and buy and buy more and more and more and more possessions, some people are possessed by their possessions. Don't let that happen to you. I know we live in America. It's the nation of materialism. Be so careful. We have a tendency to love things and use people. Where God says, no, I want you to, yeah, use things and love people. That's how Jesus was. Even though he didn't own it, he would borrow it. He would use it. Not only that, I encourage you guys, be so careful. Be like Jesus. Travel light if you can. But secondly, trust Jesus. You know, to me, this whole thing is just so amazing because he knows everything about everything, about donkeys, about demons, about disciples, about every single day of your life. And that's why you kind of need to plug into him and listen to him. He knows when to send us, where to send us, and even what to say wherever he sends us. That's why 
It's so important to be like the disciples with Jesus who can give us these types of instructions every day of our life. So anyways, back to the story. Jesus borrows a donkey for transportation. And you might wonder why. You know, was he getting tired? You know, maybe he was like, hey, I'm getting tired. This walking stuff is the pits. My ankles are bothering me. I can't make it the last couple of miles because, you know, it's kind of steep down and steep up, right? I was talking to some of the guys yesterday at the marriage fellowship, and they were saying, yeah, once you hit your mid-50s, then, you know, you got everything changes, and you can't play softball anymore. And I'm like, really? Oh, man. This is what I have to look forward to? (laughs) No, I don't know. Some people say that, you know, was that why Jesus wanted the donkey? No, that's not why, right? Uh, Verse 4 tells us why. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying... And this is a quote from Zechariah 9, verse 9. 500 years before the event, tell the daughter of Zion, that's Israel, your king. Okay, your king. Do you guys know that you have a king? That's cool. He's coming to you lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I mean, this is, this is why, Right? It was in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And, and this would be a divine sign of the Savior. And so uh, a few things about this donkey, this transportation. Number one is a prophecy, letter A. Letter B, it's a sign of humility. I mean, coming on a donkey? Um, later, do you guys know what Jesus coming on later? Revelation 19, anybody know? A white horse, okay? Have you guys ever, like, been up, like, checked out horses? They're pretty beautiful. They're pretty majestic. They're strong. They're intimidating, you know? So, you know, it's you got one guy over here coming in on a white horse, and you got this other one, you know, kind of, like, <laughs> moseying in on a donkey, right? I mean, that's, that's Jesus. He's coming in this prophecy, but he's coming in this humility. And I, and I pray that you would know that, about your Lord. He's so gentle. He's so, he's so meek. This is how he comes in humility. It was a sign for us to see. The Hebrew word here translated lowly in verse 5 back in Zechariah 9 verse 9 is usually translated to be poor and it carries the idea of humility. The Greek word here in Matthew it describes someone who is meek and mild, who's, who's gentle in spirit. And that's Jesus, right? I mean, and the reason you got to know that is that about Jesus, that he's gentle and meek and lowly. You want to know why you should know that Jesus is gentle and lowly and meek and mild? You want to know why? So that you can go to him. That's why. Jesus will never turn you away. Jesus will never say, I'm too good for you. You're not good enough for me. I don't love you. I'm busy. You know, do you know who I am? He's not like that. You can approach him. That's why he said in, in Matthew 28, 11, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Because I'm gentle. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls. My yoke is easy. 
And my burden is light. That's how the Lord leads us. He doesn't drive us with a whip, right? He's not like that. He leads us. Come on, Mio, let's go. Let's go through life. I'm going to bless you. It's important for us to know this as he comes in on the donkey, the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, the humility of being lowly. But then the third thing about this donkey or this transportation is the the word tranquility, because uh, it, it rhymes with humility, right? It's peace. This is really one of the main things about it, is that he comes on a donkey, and what that means is he's coming in peace. For the Jews, whenever a king rode in on a donkey, it was a ride, it was a journey, it was a time. It was going to be a period of peace. Uh, we read that in First Kings chapter 1, when David chose the next king in order to make his will publicly known he had his son Solomon ride through the town, and it says in 1 Kings 1.33, on a donkey. And this meant that he was a king, and it meant that he was coming in peace. And that's why Jesus came in a donkey the first time around. And next time, he's coming on a horse, so man, you want to meet him this way, let me tell you. But he wants us to have, and here it is, peace with God. Okay, here's the thing. Because we've sinned, because the world has sinned, they're at enmity with God. They're enemies of God. They've made themselves enemies with God because of their sin. Now, that's a scary place to be. I I don't know about you, but I don't want God to be my enemy. I don't want to be God's enemy. Well, that's why Jesus came, so that we wouldn't be at enmity so that we would be at peace with him. Uh, we read in Romans three sixteen and 17, the Bible says this about the unbeliever, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. But then it says about the believer in Romans 5, verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. See, and that's what Jesus came to bring us. He's riding this donkey. He's saying, I'm not coming right here to judge you. I'm not coming here, you know, to beat you. I'm I'm coming here to to save you. I love you. I want to save you. I want there to be peace. I want us to be right in our relationship. And that's what the peace is all about. You know, I, I was even thinking about how Jesus is the king, and um, he, he's the king of, um, you know, from a, a biblical perspective of Jerusalem, right? Now, how many of you here know, you guys know a little bit of Hebrew, right? You guys know a little bit of Hebrew? For example, what does shalom mean? Peace, peace, right? And uh, what is uh, Jerusalem? How do you say Jerusalem in Hebrew? Anybody know? I don't. Uh, I'll read it to you. <laughs> uh, from what I understand, it's, uh, it's not, there's no J sound in Hebrew, okay? Just in case you're wondering, like Jeho- Jehovah Witnesses that come to, his name is Jehovah. No, there's no J sound in Hebrew, dude. Okay, listen. It's a Y sound. It's, yeah, if it's anything, it's going to start with a Y sound. Like Jesus is Yeshua, and God's name is Yehovah or Yahweh. But Jerusalem is uh, Jerusalem in Hebrew. And, and what it means is it means teaching. There's shalom in there, teaching 
of peace. He's the king of Jerusalem. He's the king of peace. He's not just the prince of peace. He's the king. He's the one who would teach us about peace. And that's the peace that you want more than anything else. Are you right with God? Or you're like, well, I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. That doesn't make you right with God. Are you covered with the blood of Jesus? That makes you right with God. You know, as Jesus is coming in, he's coming in on the day that they were supposed to select the Passover lamb. And that Passover lamb, they had to make a choice. And then when they got that lamb and they put it on the doorpost and the lintel, it would be above the doorframe. They would have to walk under that doorframe. They had to be under the blood. And then when the angel of death would pass, come see the blood, he'd pass over. You got to get right with the Lord. You got to make sure that you're surrendered to him. Then you have peace. The Bible not only refers to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, but he's the King of Jerusalem. His presence is peace. And, and then what happens in life, you guys, I'm telling you this, is that you're going to have, once you get peace with God, you're going to have the peace of God. You have the peace of life, uh, John 16, 33. In this world, you have many tribulations, but be of good cheer because uh, I've overcome the world. I mean, even through the difficulties of life, you have peace in life, peace with God. You end up with a peace in your heart. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled because you're right in relationship with him. You know, Ephesians 2.14 says that he himself is our peace. I like what Charles Wesley said. He said, I rest beneath the Almighty's shade. My griefs expire. My troubles cease. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is stayed, will keep me still in perfect peace. And so the first point is the donkey or transportation. The second point is, is the day. This is the day. It's an amazing day. And his presentation. Look at verse 7. It says, They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed, they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I mean, they were just crying out before and behind and on the sides. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I mean, this is, you guys, this is crazy. And we're running out of time here, man. So I pray for me, man. Because this is huge. This is huge what we're, what we're looking at right here. This is the day. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he never purposely drew attention to himself. Never. He never openly presented himself as the Messiah. You know, and you read that so clearly throughout the scriptures. Matthew 8, 4, and Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. Don't tell anybody what's going on here. Go your way. Show yourself to the priest. In the region of Decapolis, Jesus healed a man who was deaf and mute. And we read in Mark 7, 36, that he commanded them that they should tell no one. He didn't want any publicity yet. It wasn't the day yet. After the transfiguration, we read in Mark 9, 9, when they saw his glory, 
It says, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen until later, right? Till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, here's the one that's real big. In Caesarea Philippi, when Peter came straight out and identified him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, we read in Mark 8.30 that Jesus strictly warned them, don't tell anyone. Don't tell and tell no one about him, especially that one, because that was when he was identified as the Messiah. And so up to this point throughout his ministry, we have Jesus probably three and a half years uh, doing all these amazing things. He didn't want anybody to know yet. He never drew attention to himself, but here he does. Here he makes his big entrance. Here he says, go get the donkey and man, I'm going to come down the Kidron Valley and there's going to be this huge procession, this triumphal entry. I want everybody to see this day. This time he purposely presented himself openly, publicly, and reveals who he is. His time had now come. This was the day. And we read there in verse 10 that the entire city was there. They were moved and they were asking who this was. And they give him the answer in verse 11. Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Josephus, the historian, tells us that were 256,000 lambs that were sacrificed on that particular Passover there in Jerusalem, which means there were at least 3 million people there. I mean, this was packed. All these people, multitudes of people, right? And what were they saying? It says there in verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. What, is that? what does Hosanna mean? Save now. Save now, right? Um, they knew who he was. The son of David. Who's that? That's the Messiah. Everybody knows that. That's the Messiah, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, I don't know if you guys, what's the longest psalm in the Bible? You guys know what it is? Psalm 119. Who said that? Someone over here. Okay, you get a, a prize afterwards. And <laughs> Linda. All right, so that's the longest psalm in the Bible. Did you know what the loudest psalm in the Bible is? Psalm 118. I'm sorry, that's what I heard anyways. They said that, that when they were crying it out on that day, the day that had been prophesied, and they were crying it out, it was the loudest psalm ever sung. On that day, what a day, what a declaration, what a transportation, what a presentation. I got to take you back to Daniel, 20, Daniel 9 real quick. Oh, Lord, please help me here. Oh, I don't want to cut you guys short, but at the same time, I know we're limited in time. But you got to know the 70 week of Daniel. You know, Daniel, I've been praying. God revealed to him something so supernatural. I'm going to try to go through this. If for some reason I can't you stay for second service, but in Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. 70 weeks to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. Think about that, to make an end of sin. To make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So all this, this is big stuff, right? How many weeks? It says right there, 70. So know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So I know it's been a while since we've taken any math classes, but what's 62 plus 7? 
69, good job, you get a prize too, okay. <laughs> and he just says, okay, uh, from the time that they say rebuild Jerusalem, from that day until the day that the Messiah comes, it'll be 69 sevens or 69 weeks, right? And that's what he's saying. And then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off. What do you think cut off means? Killed. He's going to be murdered. He's going to be slaughtered. But notice it says right here, not for himself. Now, this is the book of Daniel. This is way back in Old Testament history, right? And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And so that is in reference to the Romans who came and they slaughtered the the, the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Over one million Jews were killed. That tells us that when the Antichrist comes, because he's the people of the prince to come, the Antichrist will come from the revived European society, right? Right there. And so it says that's the 69 weeks. That's what ends up happening. But then when the Antichrist comes, it says in verse 27, he shall confirm a covenant with many for how many weeks? One week. So that there's 70 weeks altogether to finish it all up. 69 weeks have already been, have already passed. There's one week left. That's a tribulation period. This is in reference to finishing it all up and this covenant that God has made with the Jews. It says, He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. And that's in reference to the fact that halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to sit in the temple. That's why we know there's going to be a Jewish temple. And they're already making plans to rebuild it today. And when he sits in the temple, says that he's his God, then what's, Jacob's trouble kicks in and it's this craziness. That's the last three and a half years of world history. But until then, what we have before us is the 70 weeks of Daniel. And the way that it works out is it's, uh, it's his seven, uh, 70 sevens altogether. And for us, we have um, an interesting thing. I can't share with you all this information. But basically, at the end, what we find is, according to history, this command was issued by Artaxerxes on March 14th, 445 B.C. They said, okay, now you can go rebuild the temple. March 14th, 445 B.C. The Jewish calendar is really easy to, easy to figure out because it's only 360 days. Real simple. So you work on that calendar, and what does that do? You count... 69 sevens, you count 69 seven year period, you count 173,880 days. Any of us could do the math. What does that take you to? April 6, 32 AD, the day, the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. It was the day. And that's why when you, when you read the Bible, I mean, some people, you know, one of the things about the Lord, man, is that it's all prophetic. It's all, he's the one who knows the end from the beginning. He prophesied this all. He laid it all out. When Jesus came, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. But if it was just this one, I'd be convinced. It's amazing. You know that he, 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 he calls it this day. Psalm 118, verse 24. Remember the loudest psalm in the Bible? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad. And rejoice in it. I know we quote that psalm for every day, right? How many of you guys sing that song when you wake up in the morning? This is the day, right? 
But you got to know that that was in reference, contextually speaking, to that day. This is the day. Later, when Jesus would weep over Jerusalem in Luke 19.42, he says, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. He was pointing to that day. And what was the day? In the end of the day, what we find, you guys, is that they had to make a, a decision. And, and maybe this is kind of like the day for you. I don't know. Decisions to give your life to Christ completely for the first time or decisions to, as a Christian, you're all in. You're not going to play games anymore. You're not going to try to get your own life anymore. What ended up happening, we don't have time to turn there, but later you can read it, Luke 19, 39 through 44, is Jesus, after he went in and all this happened, people are praising him, the kids are praising him, he goes back out, he looks back over Jerusalem, and he just starts weeping. He just starts weeping over them. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you together under my wings like a, a, a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And then he goes on to say, now your day of doom, your desolation is at hand. And he knew that the Romans would come in 70 AD under the leadership of General Titus. It's etched in history. And they would be wiped out. So the, the, the thing that, if you're taking notes, the, the first thing is the donkey, then the day, then the disaster. Because really the people were crying out and they were sincere. Um, you might even outline it like this, you know, the transportation, the presentation, and then the lamentation. But here's the thing. If, if you choose to follow Jesus, it won't be a lamentation. You know what it'll be? It'll be a celebration. And so my prayer, you guys, I mean, this is crazy. What, what the Lord has done as we enter into Passion Week and Holy Week and, and as Jesus presents himself to us again and again and again because he's so long-suffering with us that, that there would be a celebration on his part because you, you, the one that he loves so much, would choose to follow him in every area of your life.